G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. The drought, of course, gripping almost all of New South Wales, much of the state of Queensland and central northern Victoria. It's been taking its toll. Just recently, I was sent an article, an article that appeared in the New York Times reporting on our drought in Australia. So what are Americans hearing? Well, they reported there was the town, uh, no town name mentioned, but the town swarmed by famished emus searching for food. The crops overrun by feral camels migrating toward water. And kangaroos invading soccer fields and crowding roadsides after dark, their carcasses littering the pavement in the morning. But the consequences have been especially brutal for livestock farmers who've been forced to sell off stock and take on mountains of debt. Hanging over entire towns is the spectre of hard times to come, leading many to reckon with the potential devastation of their livelihoods and their communities. Well, one of those church leader champions... In Australian country towns gripped by drought is the Anglican minister in the New South Wales town of Weewar. Now, Weewar is a cotton town. It's northwest of Sydney, if you're thinking geographically here, inland from Coffs Harbour, just to the west of Narrabri, and like many communities, enduring its driest year, reportedly since 1965. Well, the Reverend Bernard Gabbett, who's the Anglican minister in Wee War, he shared his thoughts with the world when he spoke to the New York Times. And our privilege today to hear his insights personally is joining us, the Reverend Bernard Gabbett. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. I, I, I don't know about that champion phrase, mate, but uh, it's very kind of you to have me on, mate. Look, uh, we'll talk a little about your humility, perhaps, as we go along. But, uh, <laughs> but, Lord, let me uh, let me uh, laud your uh, wonderful achievements there, because sometimes uh, we think of champions as somehow or other, you know, leading a big business, leading a big team. But I tell you, you're drawing alongside uh, people who are doing it tough in drought times, and that makes you a champion in my eyes. And let me just say. Uh, all the more the champion in the eyes of God who says, uh, I'm looking to the ones who are serving uh, with a heart like you have. So let me uh, just uh, compliment you as we get things underway here, Bernard. Thanks, mate. Hey, listen, uh, let me just start off with, uh, you know, the New, the New York Times reported, uh, you know, all those things about the emus and the camels. I mean, I'm imagining that's not necessarily we war. They picked up that detail from, from other stories. But any stories like that to share from your neck of the woods? Yeah, mate. No, you're you're right about that, Neil. Uh, the, the the camel the camel ones from further west and the emu ones from Broken Hill. But I, I was I did go out to Scripture yesterday at uh, Barron Junction, uh, which is a uh, 45 to 50k drive uh, west towards Walgett from Weewar, and uh, the number of emus in paddocks is just increasing exponentially. And uh, even just uh, just five or six k's out of town, 
Uh, now it's far more common rather than further out. Uh, and the roadkill, uh, yeah, you don't really want to stop and wind the windows down because uh, at certain points it smells pretty bad. But uh, the effect on the environment uh, is really noticeable and very significant. Bernard, just dwelling a little moment or two on the roadkill, because when there is drought, uh, it uh, seems to me that uh, it's dew that might form on the road, and so there's moisture near the road. This is what draws the kangaroos to the roadside, and uh, why it is extremely dangerous when you're driving country roads, uh, that uh, you know, you're more likely to hit a kangaroo when it's drought time, aren't you? Yeah, you're right. You're right, Neil. And uh, there's, there's always that green pick around the edge of the roads. Uh, we've been blessed over the last week or two to, to have, you know, across the district, anywhere between 20 to 40, uh, even some isolated areas, up to 100 mils in the last two weeks. But it's always greener by the side of the road. And uh, especially around dusk, you, you've got to be real careful, uh, especially with the ruse. Bernard, you're leading the Anglican Church in Wee War, and I know that from the article in the New York Times, uh, you went to Wee War, you saw your job as leading people to Jesus, but you very quickly discovered that there are a number of dimensions uh, that being a minister of the gospel brings as a responsibility, a weight upon your shoulders. Uh, give us a little insight to the country minister who uh, deals with a community that is actually hurting because of drought. It's, um, it's, it's a unique real ministry, I think, Neil. Uh, I'm blessed to be part of a diocese uh, that believes the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, that Jesus died for our sins. So really our diocese is focused on introducing people and uh, bringing them safely home to heaven with God's help. Now, Bishop Rick Lewis is really passionate about that, and so that really feeds down into all the parts of our diocese, all the parishes. But you're right, if you're going to proclaim it, it's got to be practised in your life, doesn't it? And uh, we've been shown unbelievable grace by God. And in a small town like this, uh, there are still kind of notions of pillars of the community. Uh, I think of the policeman, uh, I think of the school principal, and in towns where there is uh, a minister, perhaps the priest, for want of a better word. And so we deal with people at the coalface who are dealing with the highs of life and with the lows of life. And they're from every part of the community. And it just means that uh, you've got to be open to practising the very message of grace that you preach. And that, that's got to be shown practically, doesn't it? Practically, yes, and I know that there'll be listeners who might like to contribute to our conversation about yep. what's happening in their country towns too, and we're talking yep. to you in Wee War today, and there might be others in country towns uh, throughout all of the eastern states who might like to contribute to our conversation shortly. And let me ask you, though, one of the issues that came up in the New York Times article uh, is the idea that country towns, uh, even without drought, are under enormous pressure. But when you have drought, that exacerbates the whole problem, makes things worse, because you've got this drift from the country to the city. Uh, how do you describe, you know, the challenges that face country towns, even if you take drought out of the picture? Uh, Neil, it's a, it's a good recognition uh, of the reality on the ground. Uh, we've been in WeWar at the end of this year, we'll have been here nine years, and uh, our family loves it here. But even in those nine years, we've seen changes in the community. And so there are points of population drift. Uh, there's points of changes in rural industry. Uh, there's changes in the environment uh, that affect people. Uh, and so everything from as basic as the enrolments at the school affecting the number of teachers in town, 
through to changing natures of rural industry that affects uh, who's employed and when they're employed. Uh, small towns are remarkably resilient, and I reckon we was the greatest little town in the world. Uh, we love it here. Uh, but as people adjust, you can see the strain that it puts on them. And so depending on the nature of the industry, people aren't in town for long. Uh, there are people who've been here for several generations, but even there being affected as people make decisions about moving off the land or where they're going to be able to feed their families. And so I think the nature of rural ministry, uh, often as we've talked about it as a diocese, it, 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 often you become almost a kind of de facto town chaplain. Uh, if you're friendly and you're willing to talk to people and you're open and share the message of Jesus, then you're introduced into people's lives at every point and it allows you to be able to be part of the town in a remarkable way as it deals with what are really tough things lying ahead. I love the way you describe your role as a town chaplain because, you know, sometimes we think of people who lead churches, the only people they're influencing are those who are sitting in the pews on a Sunday. And, you know, what for people who are listening in the city and in the country, there's people listening to us today who are in a single church that has a yeah. population much, much bigger than the town of Wee War. I think you've got about 2,000 people in Wee War, yep. and uh, that's not the smallest country town that might be listening to our conversation today. But uh, for those in the city, sometimes there's a pastor who's in charge and uh, an influence pastorally on a church that's 2,000 strong, and uh, for yep. some listening in their church, that's much, much even bigger than that. But yep. you've, you've got this wonderful way of just describing your responsibility as a country pastor, and that is that you've got a pastoral chaplaincy responsibility for every person in the town, not just people sitting in the pews on Sunday. Mate, it, it's, um, I, I've, got, I've got to give credit where credit's due. The Bishop, uh, Rick Lewis, has really pushed us to think about this as our role, and I think um, it really captures, if you're going to do ministry in a small town, uh, I think it's just a delightful environment because the nature of your ministry means that you're there in both life and death, you're there in the good times and the hard times, and you're available to talk to people about why they can have hope, not just in life, but through, through death into the future. And so if you're willing to say day, if you're willing to not take yourself too seriously, but take God seriously, if you're willing to offer Jesus and perhaps run a home that's reasonably open, then you actually really get a, a, a relationship with people, as you've described, as town chaplain, that is marvellously influential. Now, it doesn't always result in bums on seats to, to, to use a phrase but our job is to make people aware of God and the claims of Jesus to introduce them to Jesus and to help them understand why he is so significant for their lives and I can't think of an easier place or a better place to do it and that's interesting too because uh, you were a city boy growing yeah. up and uh, <laughs> I know you're a, a you're a son of missionary parents so yeah. you obviously grew up in a Christian home but you're a city boy and you I'm not sure you might like to fill us in on some details you know whether you really wanted to go to Wee War when you first sort of set out to be a, a minister in the Anglican Church. You're right. I, I, I've grown up all over the place. Uh, my dad was an Anglican minister in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Uh, through the grace of God, as they went back on the mission field, I ended up in Armidale doing a, doing a PhD in political science. Uh, I met uh, a wonderful country girl, uh, Anita, and uh, I still can't believe that God in his grace provided me with such a terrific wife. But through that, um, uh, yeah, we've ended up staying in the bush. Uh, Anita's from between uh, Dubbo and Orange, a, a farm down there. And uh, we've 
we've really seen that uh, we've, you know, we're not incredibly talented people, but we've got uh, half a brain and we love people. And so we decided to commit ourselves to rural Australia. I went to Bible college uh, due to a number of factors after Bible college, especially health. Uh, when we left college, we ended up going back and working as farmhands for a couple of years. And uh, then in 2010, um, the then Bishop of Armidale, Peter Brain, uh, asked us if we'd consider moving to Weewar. And at that stage, uh, Weewar was really quite comfortable with where we were. We, we'd been working down west of Gunnedah at Mullally. And so this was kind of a familiar neck of the woods. And so really, uh, Neil, I'm a, I'm a bloke who bumbles through life and uh, doesn't really make any great decisions, but God in his mercy... Uh, has brought us to a place like this and uh, fitted us out for it, and uh, we just love it. Well, Bernard, as you're talking, uh, there's all sorts of th- thoughts going through my mind because, I look, I spend a lot of time, and listeners to this program regularly will know that when we talk about mission, the mission of yep. God, uh, missionary service, and oftentimes I'm talking to wonderful people who've given up all sorts of uh, creature comforts to go and serve in an overseas mission capacity. Uh, but when we talk about what the things that you're describing there, uh, going from the city and to a country town, taking on the pastorate in a town of just 2,000 people, uh, you're in a missionary endeavour, uh, which, uh, which let me just, just reflect and, and just, uh, well, pause here and just reflect for a moment uh, that if you are thinking about what you might do in a mission career, uh, that oh. serving in a local church in a country town actually has got all sorts of wonderful biblical aligned missionary benefits to it, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, you yes. get to serve in a yep. wonderful uh, country setting and meeting the needs of people who oftentimes are doing it really tough. And Neil, I, I don't think you could have put it any, any more clearly. Our, our mission as the people of God is to introduce Jesus to the people we live amongst. And in a neck of the world where population is sparse and the distance is great, that's our job. And I'm, I'm thinking of my mates who are ministers at Walgett, uh, our mate who's a link missionary at Lightning Ridge with BCA, uh, a mate who's a minister at Mungandai, you know, Bandara, Bingra, Baraba, all these little towns where young men, and predominantly young men with their families, have made decisions to go and spend time with God's mob and those who need to meet Jesus in those nick of the woods. And, and, and those names of those parishes, they're all... I just, in God's grace, happen to be the one interviewed for that article, but they're all experiencing the same stuff, and they've made decisions because they want people to meet Jesus, and so they've gone to remote next to the wood, and God's doing great things. It's really terrific. And so, yeah, like you encourage your listeners, if you're thinking of mission, uh, ring the Armadale Diocese. Come out here, work with us in rural Australia. Uh, Ring BCA, work with them in rural Australia. CMS, work in, in the Northern Territory with Indigenous people. Uh, because you can do mission in Australia as well as overseas. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You might also have a thought or a question that you might like to post on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. We are talking drought. Bernard Gabbett is our guest. He's the Anglican minister in Wee War in New South Wales. Uh, Bernard, just before the break there, I said there's two droughts going on in Wee War. One is on the farms. The other is in the town. Uh, how do you describe uh, some of the uh, dreadful effects that you've seen uh, with droughts in your community? 
Uh, Neil, it's a, it's a good question. And uh, the drought really affects a whole rural town. Uh, the images in our mind are often of farmers, and they are really badly affected. Uh, in our parish, 80% roughly guess you know, livestock farming, and they've really felt the effects of the drought with feeding and stock prices and feeding costs. But we've also got those who are cropping farmers uh, who are affected, you know, will be affected in the future with irrigation and water availability. And uh, the, the ongoing or continuing effect of the drought will be felt on the land significantly. But there are people in town. Uh, there's the contractors uh, who own rigs that uh, are involved in spraying and planting and harvesting who are feeling the cost. There are the, there are the shopkeepers in town where people spend their money. Uh, there's the schools where the teachers are dealing with kids who are watching the drought on their family properties and trying to navigate life. Uh, there's the social services in town. Uh, there are those who are part of the town community who are farmhands. And so you see it right throughout the town community. I mean, I, we've been given as a diocese a huge amount of money in great generosity. And so to be able to present to our contracting family uh, shopping cards for the local supermarket and to see them tear up and uh, give you a hug, uh, or to be able to watch uh, the local uh, owner of the newsagent, Roxanne Witten, and, and her husband uh, kind of coordinate uh, the movement of generous gifts from Sydney and uh, send it out to people and then have people say, listen, there's always someone worse off than me. You, you just see the effect of the drought from the little ones through those who've lived here several generations, from the itinerant workers through to those uh, who have steady jobs. It's just everywhere you look. Bernard, how hard is it to convince hard-pressed families uh, to set aside their pride and accept, say, a grocery voucher uh, for the local store? Um, it's, it's, yeah, you're right about that. Uh, one of the things I love about living in a town like Wee War is that you see how capable people are. Uh, people here have just got an unbelievable capacity to navigate a really tough world, which is broken. You and I know that because of what we're told in God's Word. And their resourcefulness is just wonderful to watch. But sometimes, well, often we get to the end of our resources faced by a broken world. And so uh, I think um, it, you, the, the stability of relationship allows you to, to approach people. Uh, I think if we'd been dealing with this in the first year or two we'd been here, we'd have found it much harder to relate to people. But after nine years here, uh, God in his mercy has given us relationships. We still have people uh, who say, listen, you've given me a voucher, I'm going to accept it, and then you find out they've spent it on uh, providing food for their neighbour, uh, which is remarkable. Uh, but, it, yeah, it's tough because people are proud and they've worked really hard, uh, but often in the nature of relationship, as you talk to them about what's been provided, uh, they'll accept the generosity and be incredibly thankful for it. We had... Some gift vouchers come up with individual phone numbers and uh, I know of one person who was given a substantial number of vouchers and they rang every person whose phone number was on there, people on the Central Coast, and thanked them personally uh, for their generosity. And that, that's how people feel in the town. It might be a little early for you to be across all the facts about what's going on today and uh, none of us are because uh, you might be familiar with the $5 billion fund the Prime Minister has announced today to guard Australian farmers against future droughts. That'll be at the heart of the government's plan to tackle barren conditions over the next decade. Well, some details from the Herald Sun where they say the future drought fund 
will help primary producers, non-government organisations and communities to prepare for and respond to the impact of drought. Now, uh, you, I know you're familiar with the fact that this has been announced, but uh, any thoughts on when the government provides all sorts of drought-proofing funding, and this is perhaps a great initiative, uh, it doesn't necessarily relate to, to how the relationships and how people are faring by way of you know keeping things together, their mental health, those, those sorts of issues. Uh, what are your thoughts for... Uh, uh, you know, the fact that uh, any help is no doubt necessary and going to be very well received, but, but how that might actually affect a local town. What are your thoughts, uh, Bernard? It, 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 no, it's a really important question, Earl, and I'm, I'm, I'm not fully aware uh, of all those details. Uh, let, let me be clear, I used to work in politics. I used to work for, for John Anderson as, a, as an assistant policy analyst. So I've kind of worked a bit in that background, and I'm always thankful for the way in which God has blessed us uh, with people who are willing to serve the country by going into politics. And I think some of the decision-making is just unbelievably tough. I think one of the things that struck me in this neck of the woods is that people are overwhelmed by the generosity of average Joe Blow out on the Central Coast or on the Southern Highlands or on the Gold Coast who rings up and says, I've bought a B-double of hay and I'm sending it out, distribute it. Because I think that uh, for, for a lot of people out here, that says people haven't forgotten us. Uh, I think, uh, like often happens, there's a, a fair amount of cynicism about politics, and if you've got a good doctrine of sin, you'd, you'd understand that. Um, but uh, I, I think the government is doing a lot to prepare for the future, and I'm very thankful for that, and I give thanks to God for that. Um, but the nature of the drought now is dealing with what's in front of people now. And I think for a lot of people on, on properties, accessing those funds is very hard when you're out feeding morning and afternoon and you're trying to find water and you're trying to source feed and all those kind of things i think for a lot of people actually sitting down at the computer trying to access those funds is just hard yakka so i know in narrabri at the anglican church uh, they've got a guy who's moved up from sydney who knows his way around a computer so he's offering his service to farmers and saying listen you're going to come out just sit on your computer with you and i'll do i'll navigate it for you so you can access the funds so even having an imaginative way of tying communities into that through the skills they've got, I think it's just a wonderful testament to how God's mob are serving the wider town. I wonder if those skills are present in local churches, and you might reflect on your own context, but uh, you'll know that there are churches in all country towns uh, throughout the eastern states, and there'll be people who are computer savvy, and you know they've got their head screwed on the right way. They'd be able to help farmers in this way. Is this an is this an area that churches may actually find a real opportunity to connect with farmers if they are able to help in this way of actually securing some funds? Oh, listen, Neil, uh, I think you're right, and I'm very thankful for, for the Reverend Tim Baxter in Narrabri for the way in which he's thought outside the box. He's gone, listen, this is a skill we've got. Let's link people in with this. I don't know what the uptake has been, but I think that's one of the, one of the key things as people have talked to me over time, friends from urban centres. I think partnerships between church communities are so important. Uh, for For rural churches who have very limited resources having a partnership with perhaps a church in an urban area that's got more resources is encouraging but then you hear stories of people from urban or coastal churches visiting rural communities for a week-long kids mission or to help out uh, on farms and you think well those people have learned just as much about what it means to be part of god's mob working together 
So I think that, that negotiation of partnerships between churches, I think is probably going to be the way forward in a lot of areas, uh, especially in rural Australia. Bernard, I'm going to ask you very shortly to pray for rain with listeners able to join in that prayer. But how impressed are you that we have a Christian Prime Minister who has publicly prayed for rain and is encouraging Australians to pray for rain for a breaking of the drought? What are your thoughts about about his leadership here? Uh, Neil, it's, uh, it, it, we, we live in, in strange times, don't we, in that sense? And I'm very thankful for God's mercy uh, in sending someone like Scott Morrison. Uh, I, I, prayer is something that we really have to put on the agenda. Uh, prayer is a display that we are a dependent people. Uh, I've never met anyone in WeWar who says they don't believe in God uh, because the nature of rural life is that we know we're dependent and so we've been running a, 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 an all-churches meeting uh, every second month here on the, the, the first Sunday of the month to gather for prayer, you know, 20 to 25 people uh, meeting to pray for rain. Uh, I can't think of anything more important uh, that we need to do than to turn ourselves to God and to admit our need uh, for His mercy in every part of our lives. And uh, it's wonderful uh, that we've got someone leading the country who knows that priority. Well, very shortly, I'm going to ask you to lead us in prayer for rain. We'll just hold off on that for a few minutes. Uh, we might uh, take some calls or some messages shortly. But let me ask you about, you know, when we talked about, you know, it's it's almost amusing, isn't it, to hear of the Americans thinking of our emus invading towns uh, and those uh, feral camels migrating toward water. And I know there was, uh, you know, stories that are coming out of the Northern Territory over the years about yeah. the way that uh, camels can be, you know, ravaging communities and finding their way into the towns. Uh, kangaroos, uh, clearly uh, all livestock, all animals are uh, under threat from drought. Uh, you mentioned a little while ago about 80% of the farming community around Wee War uh, raising livestock. Uh, any, what can you share with us so far as uh, some of the stories you've heard from around Wee War about uh, some of the challenges that livestock farmers have faced? I mean, there's the, you're right, Neil. There are, there are the humorous ones. And so when Rick Royas, the journalist, was with us, uh, I took him out to the, the kids' soccer training uh, out at the local uh, soccer oval. And, you know, there's 50 or 60 kangaroos sitting on the p- pitches we need to practice soccer on, eating away. Uh, and he just couldn't believe it. Uh, he <laughs> thought that was hilarious. Uh, but then there's the, 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 the reality of, of farmers who are just feeding nonstop. Uh, a friend of mine who's a farmer down at Baradine, um, he's been, been hand-feeding morning and afternoon uh, on a large property, a large number of sheep, uh, for over 18 months. Uh, which if you work out the figures twice a day, seven days a week, uh, the figures not only in a physical cost, but also financial and emotional are immense. I was chatting to a young builder who's worked on our church roof, Tom, and uh, he's from a property at Canamble, and uh, his father manages uh, some places out there. The cost of shipping in feed from Western Australia, which is the only place you can get it, well, the cost of the feed uh, is not nearly as much as the cost of the transport. That's just the nature. Uh, and Tom just cut off the conversation and said, I'd much rather talk about something else. Uh, so you, you've got all those from the, from the absurd of kangaroos invading soccer pitches uh, right through uh, to people having fed stock seven days a week, twice a day for 18 months. Uh, it, it's, that's the extreme we're living in as we deal with this drought.
These are the pressures, these are the stresses and uh, financial stresses but also just the worrying about whether the livestock will survive. Uh, when we talk about the, the sorts of stresses that people are under and you might have your own reflection on your own town or things that you hear from surrounding communities uh, but sometimes we hear those stories about people so stressed. You've got families breaking down, you've got people's mental health under tremendous pressure and uh, even those uh, who are committing suicide. I wonder whether you've got any reflection on just how serious uh, these sorts of effects can be on people's lives. Uh, no, it's, it's, the, it's the very real fact of the damage that a broken world does to people's lives, isn't it? Uh, and so you see it uh, in, in every way. You've got the financial pressure. Uh, how can I meet repayments? Where am I going to find the money? Not just for food for my stock, because I'm responsible for them, but also food for my family. Uh, you feel the weight of family tradition, don't you? Um, you know, our family has farmed this land for this many generations. Uh, you also feel the weight of uh, disappointed expectations from those around you. Uh, so all of those pressures are working on people. And I think uh, we prayed uh, in, in two prayer meetings ago, we had the focus on mental health, uh, the way people are being cared for. And, and it's as much as I've said to a number of people in our town, when you ask someone how they are going, don't just keep walking. Actually wait for the answer. Because after a few times when you've done that, people will start opening up uh, and actually start talking and responding. Uh, one of the remarkable things I've found, Neil, is that in all my visiting, and that covers every part of our town, uh, in the nine years I've been here, no one will refuse a request for prayer. And that goes from hospital visiting to funeral prep to baptism prep to wedding prep through to visiting someone on their farm. Everyone recognises that we as people can turn to God and through Jesus Christ alone, he'll listen to us. And so that's the thing I try and draw people back to. Would you like me to pray with you? And, uh, and people have never said no. And you've got to resist this idea that I'm always in a hurry. I, I imagine that when you go to uh, the store, uh, you know, you're doing an errand, uh, you know, getting some family groceries or whatever, I, I imagine that you can never say, I'll be back in 10 minutes, because I, I, you just I'm can't rush. I'm to say it, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I think that's one of the... Um, I mean, I've had, my voice has been described as a, as a chainsaw that could cut through ice at points, I'm sure. But, uh, but it's... Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that's one of the key things, uh, Neil. Um, one of the remarkable things about the Bible is that at every point, God comes to find people, and he speaks to them, and he expects them to speak back to him. Now, if we're his representatives in small rural towns, we are his, uh, his image bearers who are meant to draw people to him, and we can't do that if we're in a hurry. Uh, when we ask a question, when we talk to people... We should expect an answer and we should be asking God to help us to respond so that people meet Jesus. And you can never do that in a hurry, can you? You can't. Bernard, you mentioned a little earlier, you said some words, you said uh, we live in a broken world and, you know, who knows, there are not easy answers to why we suffer these sorts of things like drought. I mean, we can go back to the beginning of Genesis and we can speculate on some things there, but do you find that when you're in those conversations, genuine, heartfelt, authentic conversations with people, that uh, you're finding some who are blaming God for the drought? How do you think people react spiritually to the idea that there is some hard times here and there are a number of people suffering? Yeah, it, it, 
it's, um, it's, it's a natural response for our hearts, isn't it, uh, to blame God. And uh, as I'm stopped in the street and people say, what are you doing about this drought? I always say, listen, I'm in request, not in provision. And uh, it's, a, it's a really important distinction to make, isn't it, that the job of God's people are to mediate between humanity and God. We're, we're his holy nation, his priests, uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And so that's a really important thing we need to do. But we've also got to be willing to listen to people and to deal with their questions about God and what he's doing. And one of the things I keep drawing people back to is, uh, I don't think this drought is caused by a particular sin. Uh, I think this drought is caused by the, by the fact that the world is under the curse that comes from sin. Uh, that's very clear out of Genesis 3 as God talks to Adam from verse 18. And I think we need to keep drawing people back to that. Uh, one of the lines I'm sure people are sick of hearing me say here is, I've not had anyone tell me in Wee War that this is as good as it gets. People know that there was an original design that was broken as we turned away from God. And so you want to draw people to that truth so you can introduce them to the answer in Jesus. Uh, you will get various stages and you'll get various progressions and sometimes you've just got to accept that people will be angry with God. Pray for them, say good day to them next time you see them in the street and keep plugging away. You can't always explain why the hardship is there, but yeah. on the bright side of that, uh, there's opportunity that's created. And what you're saying and what I can hear in your heartbeat is there that, uh, you know, you've got to look at the bright side of this and see where you can find the presence of God, even in the hardships. Yep. And, and, and I think God works in such remarkable ways, doesn't he, to give us opportunities to talk about him. And I think continually he calls us as his people to not just talk about God, but to talk about the way to God. I'm taking a funeral tomorrow for a wonderful godly man, an old Irishman here in town. And uh, one of the things that always struck me about Alan uh, was that he was so certain. And his question always to me after he heard me preach was, Bernard, did you talk about Jesus? And God will allow you to do that in any circumstance if we are working in prayer to ask him to provide it. And if we are open to sharing the good news about Jesus with us, now it might just be as small as saying, would, would you like me to pray with you? Or it might be as big as saying, listen, did you see the rain on the weekend? Why don't we thank God for that rain? It might even be as significant as sitting down with someone who is desperately looking for meaning and saying, listen, why don't you come and talk to Jesus and see what he can do? But isn't God great to give us those opportunities? And I, I reckon there's no greater place to do it than in a small town. And Bernard, I suspect uh, you're about to say when I when I broach this with you that you know you don't have to be the priest at the Anglican Church to pray with people who are doing it tough. You just have to have a listening ear. And I imagine that it's uh, you know people don't need to hear a professional prayer; uh, they need to hear the sort of prayer that comes from the heart from that believer who might not know all the answers, but they are genuinely concerned for people who are doing it tough in country towns. Uh, Neil, that is exactly the case. And, and like I, I keep saying to people here, uh, Bernard Gabbard is one person, but God's mob is many in Weewool. And so uh, Bernard Gabbard is finite, fallible, everyone knows that. But God's mob are here, and we are put in this place so we can introduce people to Jesus. And so it might just be as little as sitting down with someone saying, Dear God, we don't know what to pray. We know what you hear 
Father, in your mercy, help us to understand the love that you have for us in Jesus so we can come to you for forgiveness. I mean, that, that's not rocket science, is it? Uh, one of the great stories I've heard is the great theologian Carl Barth was asked towards the end of his life as he stepped off a plane in New York, Carl, uh, Mr. Bart, what is the greatest truth you've ever learned about Jesus? And he's saying, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We know that as God's mob, and God calls us to share that as his mob in the towns we live in. Sounds too simple, doesn't it? Bernard, let's come to a point where I've been looking forward to this uh, for the last 45 minutes we've been talking, and uh, I'd like you to lead us in prayer and uh, we haven't been overwhelmed with calls this hour and I'm not uh, concerned about that Uh, but the idea that uh, we're going to ask for someone who's right there in the middle of a drought affected community who has a pastoral care over not just the people who sit in your pews on a Sunday but you see your pastoral responsibility over your whole town now I'm going to ask you to take a little bit of pastoral responsibility over towns right around our nation because I I mean, it is a wonderful opportunity to have you lead us in prayer. And I'm going to say to listeners, if it is safe for you to close your eyes and bow your head and in reverence agree with the words of a prayer that you're about to hear, please take the opportunity to do that and join us in a serious prayer for a breaking of drought. Now, we've been talking, Bernard, about breaking the drought in two ways. The physical rainfall is necessary. And we've been asking God through this month of October on vision for a breaking of the drought spiritually as well, because we can see that there is a spiritual drought on much of our nation. So, Bernard, I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to pass over to you. Would you lead us in prayer for a breaking of the drought. Thank you, Neil. Let's pray. Dear Father, we give you thanks that you are the one who made us, you are the one who sustains us, you are the one who judges us, and you are the one who saves us through your Son, Jesus Christ, alone. We give you thanks that as our Father, you know what we need before we ask it. Your Son trod this earth and lived in the dust that we live in, And so you know the truth of the state of this broken world which sits under the curse of sin. Father, we pray that in your mercy, as we live in this brokenness now, you'll answer our physical prayer, that you'll bring rain that drenches, that you'll bring rain that restores, that you'll bring rain that feeds and sustains communities right across this land. But Father, the greatest drought, as we told in your word, is the drought of your word. And so we pray that you'll empower your people to speak boldly, to pray diligently, to share willingly the good news of Jesus with those around them, so that by your Spirit, not only will the land be replenished, but also the hearts of people in every place. Father, you hear our prayer because Jesus has opened a way to you. And so we pray that we'll be a people who are not only dependent upon you for our daily needs, but our eternal needs who turn to you to break this drought, not only in our land, but also in our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And look, thank you so much for a a heartfelt prayer. And, uh, you know, when it comes from the heart like that, and I know that there'll be listeners right around the nation who will have joined you in that prayer and uh, believing for an enormous breakthrough. And you know what? uh, I suspect, Bernard, uh, when we... When we pray for rain, uh, we can't make it rain. It's God who makes it rain. Yep. 
but when we come to this idea of a spiritual drought, well, we need to be, in this sense, expectant that God moves upon the hearts of his people mm. to reach out, because this is the way the spiritual drought breaks, isn't it? I mean, yes. this, is a, this is a one-on-one opportunity, yes. sharing the love of Christ and yes. bringing him into the personal circumstances of people in hardship. Uh, your thoughts on just on the, the breaking of the drought spiritually? Did you what 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 more can we add to that? Mate, I, I reckon it works in two ways. Uh, the, the, the sufficient way is God working in people's hearts uh, through His Holy Spirit, so they meet Jesus. But God, in His grace, has decided that the mob He's placed in every area are sufficient to that job, and so it might be as simple as just reaching out and cooking a cake for someone. You notice that a funeral's happened, that someone has had family go home, so you drop by and you just drop off a cake and offer to pray with them. But out of that will grow an opportunity for conversation. And it's got to be by conversation because we need to share the words with people. And so let me encourage you. I mean, my, my 12-year-old boy, Seth, can cook a mean chocolate cake. If a 12-year-old boy can do that and drop it around at someone's house, most of us can. And that might be the provision of the relationship to share the good news about Jesus so that God in his sufficiency can change them. And I think that's where we need to be doing things in our towns. You know, I picked up in the article that the New York Times wrote, and they mentioned that you're a counsellor, you're a social worker. They even said you're a philanthropist, drawing on your own modest funds. Let me just, in the dying moments of our conversation, uh, let me say that uh, it's not only uh, the shopkeepers and the farmers who are suffering under drought, uh, but clearly when it comes to churches, people are obviously not able to give as generously as they might ordinarily and uh, you know you do it tough from time to time as well i wonder whether you can reflect on the sort of support and needs and maybe from maybe even you know let's not uh, let you be too humble here and say oh don't worry about me but what about all those other ministers yeah. not just yeah. anglicans but all sorts of denominations yeah. in country towns and they're think and they're doing it tough too they're not on yeah. a big big dollars uh, some people are, uh, you know, doing this all voluntarily. How do you support the ministers of the gospel in country towns during a drought? Uh, it, it, it's a really good question, Earl, and we've felt it especially here. I mean, I'd encourage people, if you want to support an Anglican church in this neck of the woods, uh, ring the Anglican Diocesan Registry, um, and I can give Neil that number later so people can ring it. Uh, places like Walgut, Lightning Ridge, Mungandai, Bingra, Bandara, Baraba, Emmerville, Deepwater, Bogabilla, North Star, all those places are in desperate need for finances. And so uh, those monies can be distributed through the registry, but, but every denomination's like it. And, uh, and I'm, I hate to finish like this, Neil, but we're, we're actually going to have to leave We War, uh, not just because of finances, a whole number of other reasons as well. Uh, but we're actually moving to the neighbouring parish in January, um, which keeps us in this neck of the woods, which we're very thankful to God about. But uh, we've we've felt the effect of the drought financially in the parish. Um, and God, in his mercy, looks like they'll be able to replace us. But that's the nature of what happens. Ministers are paid by offertory in our neck of the woods. And the support of people in urban centres where there might be a little bit a little more access to resources is greatly welcomed. And so as, as people have rang me, I've directed them to the registry so that that's dispersed monies widely because every parish in our diocese is being affected. And uh, the generosity of God's people has been remarkable. 
Okay, well, uh, in the Anglican Church, the diocesan registry, and uh, I'm not sure you can probably easily get that number online. You mentioned you'll give the number to me. If anyone wants that, uh, let yeah, me know. Otherwise, if you're an Anglican, you might know how to track that down. Just uh, online, the diocesan uh, website, Anglican Diocese of Armidale, and that'll give you the website. And you might be a member of another denomination. You might be a Baptist. Yep. You might yep. be Australian Christian churches. You might be in the Catholic Church. Yep. And uh, and if you want to, because this is the thing, isn't it? If you don't know the minister personally, but you yep. want to make a gift, go through the denomination, and the denomination yep. will be trustworthy enough to get that yep. money into the hands of those uh, pastors, those ministers who are in need in communities that are hurting uh, with the drought. Uh, the Reverend Bernard Gabbett, Anglican minister, at We War. Bernard, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today. And, uh, you know, our bless, our prayer for blessing on you as you uh, move into a new chapter in the near future. So thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Neil, thanks for your time and thanks for people listening. God bless. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.